Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 3, Episode 28. Last week, I almost wrapped up the history of the Middle Kingdom, going into depth on the rulers that controlled the area when Joseph, eventually accompanied by his family, is thought to have resided in the region. If you missed that episode, you should go back and give it a listen. This week, I'm working through the period that followed the Middle Kingdom, the Second Intermediate Period, probably the time when the Israelites settled and certainly the time when they lived in the region. So let's get started. In the last episode, I covered the history of the Middle Kingdom through Amenahet III's death, which was in 1814 BC. By this time, Joseph, Jacob, and their families were most likely residing in Egypt. So, everything I covered in that episode would have been well known to them. And, just for clarity, all of this would have occurred before Moses, the plagues, the exodus, and the Ten Commandments. After Amenahet III was his son named, wait for it, Amenahet IV. Actually, he may have been number three's grandson or nephew. The history is really unclear. He was co-regent with his predecessor for two years. At least that's the current theory. It may have been anywhere from one to seven years, and the transition from former to newer seems to have been peaceful. He sent expeditions to Sinai for turquoise and to Upper Egypt for amethyst. He also sent an expedition to the land of Punt, specifically to the Wadi Gawasis on the Red Sea coast. This is evidenced by two wooden chests and pottery inscribed with the hieratic text mentioning an expedition to the region. Also, two fragments of a stele depicting him and dating to his seventh year were found at Berenice on the Red Sea. These trips may have been the last of such expeditions of the Middle Kingdom, as the next mention of anything of the like was not for another 200 years. Amenahet IV also maintained trade relations with the Mediterranean port of Byblos. It was here that an obsidian and gold chest, along with a jar lid bearing Amenahet IV's name, was found by modern archaeologists. A gold plaque showing Amenahet IV making an offering to a deity may have originated in this Lebanese port. He also maintained control over northern Nubia. It was during IV's reign that Lake Maurice was finally finished. When completed, the farmland around it fed the Egyptians until about 230 BC, so for nearly 1600 years. And the only thing that stopped it was the silting of the Lahun branch of the Nile. Number four would reign for only nine years, at least according to the Turin king list. Manetho claimed eight years. Not that the difference matters terribly much, Overall, his reign is thought to have been relatively peaceful. With such a short reign, little is known about him. It's thought at this time the power of the pharaoh was weakening, and this may have been due to a drought. All of this sounding really, really familiar. In fact, records from the time indicate that the Nile was flooding less and crops began to fail. And, four reigned for a short time, which may indicate an untimely death. But before his death, he completed the temple of Renanhuatet and Sobek, and this was located at Medinet Madi. 
The structure's construction was begun by his father, or grandfather or uncle, we don't really know. But it is thought to be the only intact temple still existing from the Middle Kingdom, at least according to some Egyptian archaeologists. And in this case, the word pair Egyptian archaeologist means those actually from Egypt, not those from elsewhere that study the ancient dynasties. The foundations of the temple, administrative buildings, granaries, and residences were discovered by an Egyptian archaeological expedition in early 2006. Amenahet IV may also have built a temple in the northeastern Fayum. His tomb has not yet been found. When he died, he may have had no heirs, as apparently he was succeeded by his sister named Sobenefru. She may not have been his full sister, but instead a half-sister. Either way, for a short time, four years in her case, Egypt had a female pharaoh. As you probably could guess, given when she reigned in her short tenure, very little is known about her. She was the last ruler of the 12th dynasty, ruling from between 1806 and 1802 BC. She is thought to have been the daughter of Pharaoh Amenahet III. Manetho claims she was the sister of Amenahet IV, but there is little other than speculation to support this view. Apparently, Sobenefru had an older sister, who if she was truly the sister of Amenahet IV, this sister would have most likely ruled instead of her. But it's likely that this older sister died before her brother, so she never sat on the throne but her younger sister did. In fact, Sobenefru was the first known woman who reigned as pharaoh, at least the first for which there is confirmed proof. Besides Manetho, the Turin list attests to her reign, listing it as three years, ten months, and twenty-four days. Very specific. Now, to be clear, there are five other women who are believed to have ruled as early as the First Dynasty, and another who may have ruled in the 6th dynasty, so all before her, but there is no solid proof of these. Few monuments dedicated to her have been discovered, but there have been many statues thought to represent her. Curiously, many of these statues are headless. Only one with the head has been uncovered, so far. And like her brother, stepbrother, whichever, her tomb has not yet been discovered. Unfortunately, at least for the dynasty, she left no heirs, and with her death came the end of that family's reign and therefore the end of the 12th dynasty, and the end of what is considered the golden age of the Middle Kingdom. Which gets me to the lucky 13th dynasty, which by most every measure was much weaker than the 12th. Interestingly, the first two rulers of this dynasty may have been the sons of Amenahet IV, but that is not a certainty. Overall, in this dynasty, political instability was the norm, with kings who rarely ruled more than a couple of years. A portion of the instability may have been caused by the immigration of Asian natives to the region. Actually, the word Asian is a bit broad. These immigrants are thought to have been from Canaan. Wait, what? To be clear, there was an influx of people from the general area of the Levant to Egypt. That certainly seems familiar. 
The first of these immigrants apparently arrived during the reign of Amenahet III, and the rate of immigration grew as the years went on. They tended to settle in the Nile Delta region, which was great grazing land. These people, who the Egyptians would know as the Hyksos, were sometimes referred to as shepherds due to their predominant profession. During the 13th dynasty, these displaced people founded an independent kingdom ruled by kings of Canaanite descent, forming the 14th dynasty and reigning from the city of Everest. And remember, this is a time when the Israelites are thought to have been in the region. And if they are the same as the Canaanite immigrants, they would have settled in the Delta region. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me first cover the 13th dynasty. Amenahet IV probably died without a male heir, which would explain why he was succeeded by his sister or half-sister, Sobaneferu. However, some researchers have proposed that the first two rulers of the 13th dynasty, namely Sobekhotep I and Amenahet Sunbef, were number four's sons. If true, it's possible that Sobaneferu was married to number four and ruled as regent for her young sons. But, as of today, these theories are unsupported by any sort of physical evidence. Sobekhotep I was the pharaoh at the beginning of the 13th dynasty, which is also where most researchers mark the beginning of the Second Intermediate Period. Sobekhotep reigned for at least three years, around 1800 BC, and being an intermediate period, many of the records are far from clear. There is the theory that he may not have been the founder of the dynasty, but was instead its 20th ruler. But that view is held by a minority of researchers. So, I'll just stick with the first ruler of the 13th dynasty. His name is mentioned on what is known as the Cahun Papyrus, which can be found in a museum in London. The actual name of the museum is the Petrie Museum of Egyptian Archaeology, and was founded by Flinders Petrie. Yes, that Flinders Petrie. It's part of University College London, contains over 80,000 objects, and is one of the world's leading collections of Egyptian and Sudanese materials. There are also various other artifacts that refer to Sobekhotep as the founder of the dynasty. On the Turing King list, a different ruler named Kutawair is credited as the first ruler of the 13th dynasty. But then again, this could have been an alternate name for Sobekhotep. I think I'll just keep moving along, as it certainly was a confusing time for the kingdom. In fact, the next several pharaohs ruled for only a couple of years, may have overlapped, and controlled different geographic territories. All in all, it was a time very similar to the first intermediate period and also similar to the other intermediate periods, is that there are no real records for what occurred during the reigns of all the kings. After the initial dynastic disorder, a series of longer reigning, better attested kings ruled from somewhere between 50 and 80 years. The most powerful king of this period, Neferhotep I, ruled for 11 years and is thought to have maintained control of Upper Egypt, Nubia, and the Delta with a few smaller territories and cities maintaining their independence. His power may have extended as far north as the Lebanese port of Byblos, 
which may show that the 13th dynasty was able to retain some of the power of the 12th dynasty, at least through his reign. As for the areas he didn't control, sometime during the 13th dynasty, the cities of Zoyas and Avaris, both in the delta, began governing themselves. For Zoyas, this occurred during the 14th dynasty, and Avaris, this was during the 15th. The latter city was probably ruled by the Hyksos people. I'll get to both of the places and their place in Egyptian history in a few minutes. A pharaoh named Merneferi, I, ruled for 23 years, the longest of any 13th dynasty king. But even with such a long reign, nothing is really known about him. After him, it appears that the territory ruled by the 13th dynasty kings was limited to the south, so essentially Upper Egypt. And with this, the 13th dynasty began to wind down, with the southern kings ruling over Upper Egypt. But the unity of the former Egyptian kingdom had essentially disintegrated. And this is the point when most agree that the Middle Kingdom eroded into the Second Intermediate Period. And since it plays into the biblical history of the time and era, the known history of the climate of the region is worthy of a minute. Throughout the history of ancient Egypt, the annual flooding of the Nile River continued to flood the fields on its banks, and the annual renourishment aided in the feeding of the populace. There is evidence that the collapse of the previous Old Kingdom may have been partially due in part to low flood levels, which resulted in widespread famine. The dry period appears to have reversed during the early years of the Middle Kingdom, with relatively high water levels recorded for much of this era. In fact, the flood levels of the time increased around 60 feet, or about 19 meters, above its previous non-flood levels. Think of that as enough water to cover a six-story building, and that's just the increase in the levels. These years, which occurred during the Middle Kingdom, proved to be the most economically prosperous period of that era, and it occurred during the reign of Amenahet III. And now, think back five or so minutes when I mentioned that the first immigrants from Canaan arrived in Egypt. It was also during Amenahet III's reign. And now align this with the narrative at the end of Genesis, when Joseph was the vizier. And it all starts to come together. But not only that, the increase in agricultural production can be seen in sources external to the Bible, specifically in Egyptian text. And that's a summary of the 13th dynasty, which quite naturally gets me to the 14th. It would be quite easy at this point to dive into the Hyksos, but there's more than enough known about them to fill an entire episode. So, I'll save the deeper dive into that group for next week. Instead, at this point, I'll just provide an overview into how they bridged a gap. The 14th dynasty was comprised of a series of rulers who reigned during the Second Intermediate Period and were centered rather loosely around the Nile Delta region of Egypt, so hugging the northern coast. Their reign, at least in the 14th dynasty, was from somewhere between 75 and 155 years, and the actual dates are rather loose. It probably began between 1725 and 1650 BC, and ended between 1805 and 1650. 
and it's the gaps in knowledge about the dynasty that leads to such a wide variance in the years of the reigns of its leaders. Some researchers believe that it emerged during the late 12th dynasty, sometime around 1805 BC, during or shortly after Sobhanafkaru's rule. The theory is that the local Canaanite population residing in the eastern delta declared its independence from Egypt at a time when the power of the central government was waning. It then managed to resist attempts by the 13th dynasty's Memphite kings to reclaim the delta. The theory continues through about 1650 BC, so about 200 years, when the Hyksos were finally defeated. If true, they ruled independently from native Egyptian rulers for about 150 years. But this theory is not without its detractors. The alternate is that the 14th dynasty did not emerge before the mid-13th dynasty, around 1720 BC, after the reign of Sobekhotep IV. This alternate theory is based on archaeological evidence such as inscriptions and monuments. Either way, all agree that at some point, either in the latter part of the Middle Kingdom or in the Second Intermediate Period, the Hyksos, who are probably Semitic immigrants from Canaan, ruled part of what had been formerly a vast Egyptian empire. The capital of this dynasty was probably Avaris. Of course, this city is located in the Delta region. And just in case you were wondering, it's thought that the 14th dynasty was ruling the northern part of Egypt at the same time that the 13th ruled the southern. So they ran concurrently. The modern theory is that the rulers of the 14th dynasty are of Canaanite or West Semitic descent. This theory is primarily based on the distinct origins of the names of some of their kings and princes, such as Ipku, which is the West Semitic word for grace. There is also Yakbim, which is of Amorite origin. Finally, Keri, which is West Semitic for the bald one. But there were also names with a probable Nubian origin, such as King Nasi, which literally translates to the Nubian. Pretty clear there. Also of Nubian origin was Queen Tati, who was apparently married to a Hyksos king, a king of Semitic descent. Modern researchers sometimes combine the 14th dynasty with the 11th, 12th, and 13th dynasties by including all of these as part of the Middle Kingdom period of Egypt. This is despite the 14th dynasty overlapping at least partially with either, or possibly both of the 13th and 15th dynasties. But it's more common for the 14th to be included with the 13th, 15th, 16th, and 17th in the Second Intermediate Period. And this makes sense to me. After all, if you follow the logic that a kingdom like the old or the middle, is contingent upon a unified Egypt with a single ruling family, then you cannot also have concurrent dynasties. Towards the end of the 14th dynasty, some sort of calamity struck the region, maybe a famine or a plague, and it may have lasted for years. It may also be the same famine that impacted the 13th dynasty from about 1700 to 1650 BC. But overall, despite the extenuating circumstances, it seems to have impacted the Egyptians more, as the Hyksos and those in the Nile Delta, 
gained some measure of power during this downturn. Manetho claimed that the 14th dynasty had no less than 76 kings. He also claimed that these kings ruled from Zoyas, not Avarice. But this may not be as much of a discrepancy as it seems. These two cities are really close to each other, mere miles apart, 1.6 times as many kilometers. At Avarice, there has been an uncovered large royal palace that dates to the Second Intermediate Period. Inside this palace, one of its courtyards housed a statue of a king, or maybe a high-ranking official, so large that it was twice the size of a person and was wearing non-Egyptian clothing. So maybe this was the capital, or at least a place where the Canaanite immigrants lived. The Turin list claimed there were 56 14th dynasty kings. And despite missing many sections, the space missing in the missing sections is not large enough for the 76 kings as Manetho claimed. It's thought that the 14th dynasty was essentially limited to an area not much larger than the Delta region. But artifacts from them have been found in both Middle and Upper Egypt, as well as Nubia. They've also been found in the southern Levant. Of course, this does not indicate that they controlled the area, only that their goods made it that far. So, at a minimum, they were trading with these people, with their neighbors. And that's probably enough in this episode on the Hyksos. At least that portion from the 14th dynasty. I'll cover them in much more depth in the next episode. Next is the 15th dynasty which spanned from about 1650 to 1550 BC. It too was primarily Hyksos, and therefore centered in the Nile Delta region. And, since it was neither native Egyptian, nor in a well-defined period, outside records related to them are sparse. The Turin king list claims that there were six Hyksos kings with the 15th dynasty, ending with one named Kamudi. And other than that, not much is really known about the 15th dynasty. About the same time that the 15th dynasty was controlling the Delta region, the 16th dynasty controlled Upper Egypt and had its capital located at Thebes. This dynasty ruled for about 70 years, from about 1650 to 1580 BC. Their leaders were attested to by both Manetho and the Turin list, but there is not complete agreement between the two. And, there are two competing theories about the 16th dynasty. The first is that they were vassals of the Hyksos. This theory is based on the belief that a few of the 16th kings had Semitic names. The other theory is that the 16th was independent. This theory is based on the Turin list, as well as uncovered artifacts. Either way, while it may have started as a vassal state, it does appear to have gained some independence as the two dynasties ended up fighting each other. The 16th from Thebes were in a constant war with the 15th dynasty, a war which lasted longer than the 16th dynasty itself. The armies of the Hyksos 15th dynasty fought their way southward from town to town, winning almost every engagement. And adding to the struggles of the Thebans was a plague that weakened the populace and gave the Hyksos an advantage. Eventually, in 1580 BC, apparently Thebes was conquered by the Hyksos, 
which brought the 16th dynasty to an end. But the Hyksos didn't control Thebes for long, and soon retreated. I'll cover what happened then, in just a minute. Backing up a bit, and adding to some of the confusion, is a possible third dynasty that ruled at the same time as the 15th and 16th. This one is known as the Abdaios dynasty. It ruled from about 1650 to 1600 BC, and from the city for which it is named. Its territory was small, and was in Middle and Upper Egypt, the area around Abdaios, of course, and also Thinis. The Turin list seems to attest to its existence, and that's about all that's known of it. Not all researchers are completely convinced that it was an independent dynasty. Who knows? Circling back to Thebes, after the Hyksos defeated the 16th dynasty and briefly controlled the city, native Thebans rose up and kicked them out. The new leaders of Thebes became known as the 17th dynasty and ruled from the city from about 1580 to 1550 BC. Its leaders are attested to on the Turin list. Towards the end of their rule, they began offensive attacks on the Hyksos, attacks that would eventually lead to the defeat of the Canaanite immigrants, and a once again unified Egypt. The period after the unification would be known as the New Kingdom, which is a good stopping point for this week's episode. Join me next week when I'll cover the history of the Hyksos, who may, or may not, be one and the same as the Israelites. You don't want to miss it. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. This week, please go to iTunes or wherever you receive the podcast from and leave a positive review. For those of you that have, you are helping others to find the podcast. You can find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page so that it's easier to find later. If you're enjoying the podcast, do subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released and don't miss out. Thanks for listening and have a great week.